0: This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Let's sick with this. I'm sick with this. Since you wasn't there, but I lost touch with my own sweet time. Didn't teach what I thought. I don't recognize simple things anymore. I don't wanna be defeated. 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 Hello. Everyone, welcome back to another episode of the podcast of my show, Lead Singer Syndrome. I am your host, as always, Shane Told. It is a beautiful, sunny day here in Canada. The snow has melted. It's March. I'm just loving it. Things are great. Things are amazing. I hope you're doing very well on this fine day. Tuesday morning or whenever you're listening to this, could be years from now, who even knows? But hey, we have an awesome episode today with a guy I have had a, quite a level of intrigue about for a lot of years, Mr. Ryan Clark of Demon Hunter, he's also an incredible and successful. Very successful graphic designer. He's known for what he's doing now with his company Invisible Creatures. I know him best from back in the 2000s being the premier album cover designer, artist for so many bands in the scene. He designed all those iconic album covers, many of which I'm sure you know. Him and his brother were the masterminds behind Asterix, which was a part of Tooth & Nail Records. Designing pretty much everything on that label, but a whole lot more as well. We talk a lot about that. We talk about Demon Hunter and what an enigma they are in a lot of ways. But look, this band is serious. They just put out, last week, two new albums at the same time. War and Peace, those are the names of them. They both charted in the Billboard Top 200, selling more than 25,000 copies between them. This is a band people really care about. So sit back, listen to this. Very informative, very interesting with a band that is very under the radar in some circles and very not under the radar in others. Before we get into that, hey, thanks for being here. As always, hey, if you want to get in touch, super easy. You can send me an email, syndrome at gmail.com. You can add me on social media at Shane told or at lead singer syndrome or at lead singer sin S Y N. If you want to tweet at me, I also have to give a big shout out to all the members of the lead singer syndrome, all access club. My sinners, where are you at? I know I'm going to see you at Sinnerfest. Things are awesome right now with the club. If you don't know about the club, basically what it is is if the one episode a week isn't enough for you, we have an option. We have more bonus contents. We have merchandise. We have an amazing community of like-minded fans. And this thing is growing rapidly. We are well over 300 members now, new members getting added all the time. It is super, super cool. And I really think if you're a fan of the show, you're going to love it. So check it out, com slash access And It only costs you as little as $6 a month. That gets you in. If you want to pay a little more, you can get even cooler stuff. Hey, this is really what helps me deliver this show to you every single week. So if you make a contribution, it really does help me out. Again, the link, leadsingersyndrome.com slash all access. In other news with me, My band Silverstein is going on tour this summer. It's announced we're touring with our best friends in the world, August Burns Red. Ugh, the best dudes. Also on the bill is Silent Planet. This tour is going all over the U.S. and Canada, not just Toronto, Montreal, Canada, like I'm talking the entire country, so make sure you go pick up tickets. I think AugustBurnsRed.com, I think that has them. Actually, they go on sale on Friday, so pick them up on Friday, but it is a really, really cool tour, a really great announcement, and I'm really excited to be doing some club shows in the summer. That's rare. Typically, when we do club shows and we go to all these cities in the U.S., it's like freezing cold. So I'm very, very excited about that. So yes, on Friday, get your tickets. I want to thank everybody that tuned in last week for my conversation with Cody from Set It Off. That was a great one. If you missed it, go back, listen to it. Go back, listen to the one the week before. Oh wait, there wasn't one. How about the week before that with Lauren Babbage? We have some great episodes, like 160 something of them. So go back, check out the back episodes. And if you do enjoy the show, please spread the word, tell a friend. Tell a loved one, let's keep this thing rolling. Also, I want to give a big welcome and a shout out to a new sponsor of the show, merchtable.com. You will be interrupted for a little ad in the middle of this one. Make sure you go check them out as well. Well, anyway, hey, let's get in to a very informative conversation with frontman, designer, and father, Mr. Ryan Clark of Demon Hunter.
1: Around the lads, one alive, for my time. Around
0: the lads, one alive, their sword in So, this is
1: how
0: we pray. I am here with Ryan Clark of Demon Hunter, among other things. Uh, dude, thanks for doing this. Uh, thanks for taking the time. Uh, one of the busiest people I think I know of, um, (laughs) except that you don't tour that much. So maybe that's what, maybe that's the
1: secret. Yeah, that's part of it. Definitely. Um, I mean, they're with the amount of things that I've kind of gotten used to juggling um, there's definitely no way where that I could add touring to that mix, you know, at least not in the capacity where other bands are doing it, you know, like months and months out of the year. Um No, no. Yeah. I've always managed to kinda of like um find a balance between a lot of things, but it's it's mainly because of the way that I can kind of um dictate like the schedules of all those things.
0: No, it's it's kind of incredible and, and impressive and to be honest, I'm a little bit jealous. You know, um, I, I'm turning 38 in two days, you know, so I, I know you're a little bit older than me, I think. But, uh, you, you know, we're kind of in the same, you know, frame of, of of mind, place in our musical careers where, you know, you're about to release album number nine and album number 10 together on March 1st, which is which is pretty cool as well. I want to talk a lot about that. Yeah, You know, my, my band, uh, we just released our uh, eighth album a couple years ago. So, you know, m- my life is... Consists of pretty much touring nonstop. That's right. what I do. Yeah. The people that I talk to on this show, that's what they do. Uh, you know, and and I guess that I just felt like that was a great narrative, you know, uh, yeah. to to kind of base part of this interview around. It, it is it's amazing, not only that you're able to sustain yourself and you do all these other things, but I feel like Demon Hunter is as big as ever.
1: Yeah, I mean, when we when we first started, it was kind of. <clears throat> I mean, we would talk to a lot of other labels about, you know, potentially signing to them when our deal was up or, um, you know, licensing deals for for like international release and stuff like that. And um, the yeah. the answer was always like, well, like, you know, let us know when you guys start touring uh, or, you know, <laughs> come back to us when you guys are like an active band. Um, yeah. Yeah. And you know, I think over the years we kind of proved that that wasn't a necessity for us. um, At least not for the type of thing that we were looking to get out of it. And by we, I mean, at the time my brother and I, um, we both, you know, both of us were juggling design careers and and music careers at the same time. And so we kind of had our cake and, and got to eat it too. um, Because it's two passions of ours, you know, And, and there's a, there's something nice about having that, um the schedule of of something like a normalcy of of just you know waking up and hitting the computer and having like a normal sort of day and being able to be around your family and all that kind of stuff, and then almost as the touring happens, kind of take that as more of like a a break or a vacation or a you know a totally. chance to hang out with your yeah. friends you know
0: absolutely that's that's right the the grind i mean if, when you guys go on tour and you do you know a string of dates or you do festivals. That must be real special. You it know is. what I mean? Not just for you, but the people that are there, knowing how limited the you know, those kinds of things are.
1: It is. and I think that has sustained us like on both sides of the fence. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's made it so that I mean, especially since three of the members are in Nashville and two are in Seattle, it's like every time we get yeah. together it's fun. It's like exciting. You know, these are some of my best friends, but we don't live in the same place and we don't get to hang out all the time so when we do it's it's sweet it's like a great you know excuse to to get together and hang out and catch up um and then on the flip side of the coin in terms of like the the way that it's perceived from other people um yeah it's there's an exclusivity to it when we're in dallas texas for instance uh, we're probably not going to be there for another two, three, four, five years, you know. Like, yeah, um, yeah. And so there's something about like get it, get it while the getting's good, because you know you have you know never know when we're going to be back or when we're going to be doing it again. Um, we have no plans on stopping, that's for sure. But our the frequency of of us playing live and um, our ability to be able to do that for especially for stretches of time um, over the years kind of changes. It ebbs and flows a little bit. Um, And I think there will be years where we go out more than we have in the last, you know, I'd say two or three years, just because a lot of us have been getting used to fatherhood and just like a complete change of dynamic in that regard. But as our kids get a little bit older and things like that, I wouldn't rule out the the idea that we would kind of start to, you know, string some dates together and and do a little bit, a little bit more. Um, So, yeah, it's just it's a total toss up, but. Um, there's something about that model that we started with almost just out of necessity that ended up actually kind of working in our favor.
0: Yeah. It's, it's real, it's really interesting and really unique. And, you know, from my perspective being, you know, a guy in, in whatever, whatever scene you want to call it, uh, you know, admittedly not the Christian, you know, hardcore scene at all. I didn't even know who you guys were until I think it was either your second or third album came out Mm -hmm. and it was like, who is this band that charted? You know, like number, whatever, like nineteen on the Billboard with twenty five thousand albums sold. I'm like, what the hell? Like, what? <laughs> this is on Solid State, and I've never even heard of it. Yeah, it was crazy how and and ever since that moment, I've been, I've always had you know an ear to the ground about your band. I've always been very intrigued, um, and it's just kind of crazy now. You know, this this came in like, hey, do you want to talk to Ryan from from Demon Hunter? And I'm like. Absolutely, you know, like there was, uh, you know, uh, um, and, and there's so much other stuff, and I, I want to like kind of just bring it up here and then talk about it more later, uh, like the stuff you did with Asterix, with your brother. Yeah, uh, I mean, cutting edge back then. Yeah, uh, you know that stuff was amazing too. But before we get into all that, I, let's go back and talk about you know the humble beginnings. Um, you know, I know you're you're originally from from Sacramento, California. Mm-hmm. You moved up to Seattle at some point. Uh, your former band, Training for Utopia, that was a band that I was a big fan of too, and it's kind of funny how I how I got into that. I, I bought a bunch of records from from Tooth and Nail, and they had some kind of package where it was like for an extra like ten bucks, we'll give you five CDs. Hmm. You know, which yeah. at the time it's like, oh my god, that's the best <laughs> totally. deal ever and they just, you know, threw the, the that CD in the box. And I was like, "Oh, this this like looks cool or whatever." And I wore that thing out. Like I listened to that record so much and then that's awesome. you know, that's back in the day when it was hard to get information about the band. So I didn't even know what it was really, you right. know what I mean, other than being a Christian metal core band from the West Coast. Right. So I know there's a lot there, but hey, uh, so yeah, talk to me about that kind of earlier early life, how, how you know, your upbringing was and stuff, if you don't mind.
1: Sure. Yeah. Well, I'm, you know, I was Born in Southern California, in Whittier, California, but only lived there for about a year before we moved to Bend, Oregon. My dad moved there for a job pastoring a church. He was a pastor um, pretty much my whole growing up. Um, And so we lived in Bend, Oregon, kind of before Bend was Bend. Uh, Now it's like this big vacation destination. But when we lived there, it was a really small, um, really small town. Um, We moved from there. It was it was a great upbringing because it was a lot, you know, we had a little property and um, creeks and tree houses and all that kind of stuff. So, so there's a cool like outdoor element to that, especially at that age, you know, between like two and ten. When I was right. ten, we moved from there to Elk Grove, California, um, which is just south of Sacramento and into a very new, um, very uh, cookie cutter suburb. Um, called Laguna Creek, which was brand new at the time. Uh, it's best known at this point, probably not very known, but it's where m- most of the, if you buy like an Apple computer or something, okay. it's probably going to come from Laguna Creek. It's like one of their big shipping facilities on the West Coast. Um, anyway, my folks still live there, but uh, I that was like the formative years. Um, and there was something about the that kind of, um, the culture of that, sort of suburb, you know, predominantly white suburb thing that, um, cultivated some version of punk rock angst in, in us when we were young. <laughs> and so, right. you know, skateboarding and punk and hardcore and metal and all those subcultures and countercultures and things like that were very appealing to us because, um, we didn't really feel like we fit in with the jocks and all that kind of stuff. So, well,
0: with your dad being a pastor, obviously, you know, religions, a big part of your, was your early life. It still is. Sure. Um, you know, and, and you guys have, have been always quoted as like, not really the fence sitting type of Christian band. Um, you know, not a band that's all of a sudden going to start making secular music. You, You guys have always said, you know, we are a Christian band. This is just what we, what we are, what we do. And our fans appreciate it. So, with your dad being a pastor when you're a kid and you 're getting into like metal and hardcore and punk mm-hmm. rock and skateboarding was were your parents supportive of that kind of thing um How did kind of religion play in because i'm sure a lot of the stuff you were you were listening to was you know very not christian sure
1: um i mean it 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 kind of went a little bit both ways, like they were certainly supportive of my brother and I doing artistic endeavors, whether that was, you know, um, visual arts or music yeah. and things like that. And my dad was a guitar player. And my mom sang. That's kind of where I learned how to, you know, find a harmony, um, you know, within a melody and things like that. And so there was that stuff kind of came from them. Um, the particular styles of music. Yeah, I mean. To them, they would rather it be like a Christian album or something like that, but there wasn't yeah. a lot of pushback with that sort of thing, like as long as we were good kids and like didn't find ourselves in like a ton of trouble and um and that sort of thing, I don't think they were particularly too concerned um and these days they're you know as cool as can be about it um they fully nice. understand you know um but yeah, you know there were there were times where I would, if I wanted to wear a Metallica shirt to school, I would have to change into it when I got there, you know, or like, <laughs> or things like that. Um, and that was definitely a thing or like, you know, hide my Slayer CDs like underneath my bed or whatever. Um, so that was definitely a thing, but I mean, it wasn't super heavy handed. I had, you know, some, yeah. um, I extended family that were a little bit more on the hardcore fundamentalist edge, uh, whose parents You know, were definitely more strict than mine, Um, but mine, as far as that thing goes, were actually pretty cool. Um, So, and and you know, like I said, these days they're just like ecstatic about about uh, the band and the success and like everything.
0: Absolutely. No, I always thought that the dark imagery in in Demon Hunter was kind of interesting. You know, um, as a Christian band to have that, like you know, almost like something that you would see. Uh, maybe a black metal band do you know what I mean in some ways Mm -hmm. I I, I don't know if that was a conscious thing uh, on your part or or what you know from day one you guys have had this aesthetic yeah. um, and obviously that's due to you and your brother's visual art background
1: sure I mean there's a if there's going to be something that is uh, you know overtly dark looking uh, I think it's always with some sort of purpose like there's always a a deliberate element to it you know um And uh, on the flip side of that, I have always, you know, though I appreciate being able to um, resonate with like minded people, um, I also, a a major component of what I like to do through the lyrics and songs and through the band in general is to kind of poke and prod a little bit, Um, especially, like I said, at the, you know, more of the fundamental. Uh, legalistic types of Christianity. Um, Those, the people that I I would say kind of live in a bubble. Um, Mm -hmm. It's always been a a kind of part of my agenda to kind of like poke and prod at those people and maybe get them to like wake up or, or be jarred by something. Um, And so I don't necessarily, in terms of that world, the Christian world, um, I try not to play it too safe In terms of the the kinds of references that I make, or the kinds of analogies that I make through lyrics, or the types of imagery that we um, that we do, or that you know collaborations with certain bands, or who we tour with, and things like that, what where we play, you know, they're they're all variety of fundamental people that would have a problem with every single thing from whether or not you play churches or or clubs, or you know what color the lighting is in the photos that your band took, which is a serious, which is a serious thing that someone's actually asked me. So like it goes, <laughs> it incredible. goes as deep as it possible as you could possibly imagine. Um, and, you know, part of my, what I like to do is to kind of chip away at like the ridiculousness of that type of thinking. Um, and so I, I see there being purpose on kind of both sides of that. Yeah. Um, and so, the dark imagery, you know. A, I like things that are metal to be metal. Um, I like <laughs> I like there to be like something. Um, I wouldn't say stereotypical, but I, I think there's just um, an inherency to to what type of um, imagery or what what type of vibe that music like this kind of conjures up, and I'm okay with finding a lane in that where that works for us, you know, um, even if you were to take like biblical theology or Christianity, there's a lot of dark stuff in there. So there's a ton of, of imagery or analogy that is ripe for the picking, um, in terms of that stuff. I mean, a lot of non-Christian heavy metal bands are pulling biblical imagery, (laughs) you know what I mean? Right. To make their stuff sound like dark and, and whatever. So you know, I can pull the same sorts of things and just take a different spin on it with the the logo. You know, it's essentially just a literal interpretation of the name. It's a demon with a bullet hole in in its head. Um, and so that allows us to do all kinds of different things um, with that logo, which we've done on every album cover. And, you know, right. a million exactly. different ways. And, on and that's the thing, right, is is like the new stuff that you have here, you know, on Spotify
0: uh, close enough, you know, which is a new single, you know, the it's a skull, yeah. <laughs> There's a skull on a, on an album cover, which has been done billions thousands <laughs> and thousands of times on every metal record ever. Right. You know, but but it's like it's like you're you don't need to put, you know, the whole round uh, peg in a square hole or whatever the uh, you know, the analogy is. Why would you do that at this point, right? It's like sure. it's trying to make it, this work in a new unique way, which you guys seem to do every single time. And, and make it cool. And, and there's a challenge there.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's uh it's great because it's a, <clears throat> it's a challenge because there is a box, there's a sandbox that we need to stay in. Um, at least that, <laughs> yeah. I've, you know, kind of a self-imposed sandbox. Um, and the, the challenge is that, you know, it has to be our logo. It has to be done in some way that hasn't been done before. Um, and, the freedom is that I don't have to. I don't have to think of some completely new concept for an album cover every time. And there's freedom in that. There's freedom in not having. There's freedom in the boundaries to you know to a certain degree. Is um, I know what it needs to be. So there's like a there is some sense of definitive direction. Um, right. And then the details are the things that we get to kind of play with or or wonder about or explore. So the way that the skull is presented whether it's like some kind of fine art, you know, pen and ink or or a painting or whether in this in the cases of the new uh records it's a digital rendering. It's a it's, I had someone do a digital sculpt and then we rendered it and lit it all in the computer and um it looks very real um but you know it was the first time that we've actually done something like that. And so there's there's a million different Variations on that logo that we could do, and so that's that's yeah. kind of what keeps it exciting is like you know it's going to be this the logo, but you don't know how that logo is going to be represented
0: right i mean I mean you guys you know with the company that you're running running now with your brother you know and all the incredible things you know that you've done with you know uh, i mean from the Grammys to Whole Foods to NASA, you know what i mean you, yeah. you've worked with all this stuff and you're always on you know the cutting edge of whatever new design stuff is out there, I mean, that must be cool to use some of that stuff that you learn from working, you know, your nine to five jobs doing that and then being like, hey, how can we apply this to the Demon Hunter logo in a new way? Sure. Like, Obviously, like, as you go on and you're talking about album nine and 10, maybe there's, like, some people would have a bit of a creative block. Okay, what can we do we haven't done? But with you guys, does it get almost easier because you kind of have learned so much about
1: you know the the, the game. Um, you know, I would put. Honestly, it's a kind of a um, a weird. When I'm doing the artwork for my own band, you know, usually the cover is something that I source out to someone else, um, and then really the, the rest. Yeah, yeah. So the um, the album covers, with the exception of. Storm the Gates of Hell which was our fourth record and then Extremist the two covers that were with that one mm-hmm. um, someone else had done every other one <clears throat> um, so we've had everyone from like Dan Seagrave who's like a um, like a death metal fine artist incredible incredible painter um, to Justin Cameron, who's done a lot of like hardcore and punk and metal stuff pen and ink stuff do True Defiance um, and so uh, I haven't you know, I, I like to play art director more than I like to play designer on my own stuff. Right. Um, right. And it gives me an opportunity to do that, which is fun. But then when it comes to, you know, kind of fleshing out the, the remaining package, for me, it's more about, with with my own band, I'm very particular about, like, the the presentation in terms of, like, the clarity of it. Um, I think there's a almost a almost a brand style guide sort of thing that I'd like to follow with the way that that Demon Hunter stuff is presented. Um, yeah. It's very nuanced and, and you know, some people might not even realize it, but, like, you know, I like to present lyrics in columns uh, as opposed to, like, you know, strung out in, in chunks. And um, there's sort of a color palette that I like playing within, which is somewhere in the black, white, red... And then maybe tones of metallics and things like that. Um, Right. So there's there's kind of things that I like to go back to that are that are kind of tried and true. And to me, playing with Demon Hunter stuff on like an album packaging level is more about brand consistency. And that's definitely like you were saying something I've learned through through my design career is um, the importance of you know the branding or the the visual identity of an entity whether that's a business uh, you know or a, a band or an artist or something yeah. so when i'm doing artwork for other bands it's almost like my, ex- my excuse to do something artistic or to try to pull off something you know out of the box or um you know maybe it's to balance out the music with something that doesn't doesn't feel like it works. And then all of a sudden becomes kind of part of the, the, the puzzle. Like with August Burns Red, they don't like to do heavy metal looking stuff. And right, so right. The, the goal there is always to do something that looks more artistic than, than a typical heavy metal thing. And then before you know it, it becomes part of their brand and that's what you're kind of expecting to do. So there's, um, there's something cool about doing that for other bands. But then when it comes to my band, I just, there's something about the consistency um, I call it like a micro reinvention every time because like we are we are kind of reinventing like the way that we present that skull each time, but then everything else surrounding it kind of feels it kind of feels um, natural. It feels like you've seen it before yeah. almost. So it's like I said, it's nuanced and kind of nerdy, but. Um, there's some, there's something about the doing my own stuff that's a little bit different. Um, I I don't take very many risks. I'll say that in terms of design, <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, in terms sure. of design wise, I don't you know. With other people's stuff, I'll like flip lyrics upside down and put them, put them in a circle and like put die-cut holes right through the center of lyrics and stuff like that, like see what I can get away with, you know? <laughs> I would never do that kind of stuff for Demon Hunter. Like, I'll just say
0: that.
1: <clears throat> We're going to take a quick break
0: to hear from our sponsor, MerchTable.com, and we'll be right back. I just got sent awesome new wireless earbuds from Raycon. I opened the box, opened up my phone, and literally in less than a minute, I was jamming out to my favorite tunes. What struck me right away was how well these fit. And then how amazing they sound. Definitely more bass than my other wireless headphones. But the biggest game changer is the price. The E25 earbuds they sent me start at half the price of other premium wireless earbuds on the market, have six hours of playtime, and really are super comfortable, whether it's music, conference calls, or binging this podcast. And there's no dangling wires or stems to distract other people if you're on a video call. The company was co-founded by Ray J and celebrities like Snoop Dogg, Mike Tyson, and Melissa Etheridge are just a few people obsessed with Raycons. Whether you're working from home or working on your fitness, you want what you're listening to to be what you're listening to, not the other distractions from the room. Everyone needs a great pair of wireless earbuds, but before you drop hundreds of dollars on a pair, check out wireless earbuds from Raycon. Now's the time to get the latest and greatest from Raycon. Get 15% off your order at buyraycon.com slash L-S-S. That's B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N dot com slash L-S-S for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. Buyraycon.com slash L-S-S. If you're in tech, you've been there before. Feeling the pain of hiring a freelancer or new employee for designer development only to find out months later that it's not a fit. And those types of mistakes aren't cheap. Instead, Mutual Mobile, a digital technology consultancy, uses the process it's developed over the past 10 years, delivering over 600 client projects to ensure your fast and beautiful mobile or web app is finished on time and within budget. If you have design or development needs, schedule a free 30-minute consultation at mutualmobile.link slash L-S-S to get started. That's M-U-T-U-A-L-M-O-B-I-L-E dot L-I-N-K slash L-S-S to get started with your free consultation today. Well, maybe that's a good segue into, you know, um, asterisk and, and, you know, a lot of people that, you know, were around at that time buying CDs, you know, at Best Buy and everything, um, you guys were behind pretty much, I, I mean, I feel like just every record that had good artwork was asterisk. There were a lot, And you, yeah. you guys had a certain look, you know, and I, I just remember, you know, the, the one, some of the ones I remember, and the, I didn't even look it up, I just remember like uh, the Armor for Sleep Yep. Uh, artwork, which was really, really cool for um, What to Do When You're Dead. Uh, the Norma Jean, Oh God, The Aftermath mm-hmm. album, which was incredible, which I, I believe you won a Grammy for. Nominated.
1: Yeah.
0: Nominated, yeah. Uh, and then Dead Poetic was an, another um, New Medicines. It was one of my favorite albums. Uh, still to this day, a great album. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, I know you guys are behind that and Bleeding Through and all these different artists. And, like,. You know, I don't know what it was, but you guys knew that everybody else didn't know. But you really were a cutting edge design, you know, designer. You and your brother, and everything you were doing. And I mean, the amount amount of things you must have turned down. Uh, it must have been incredible at that at that point. Just with everybody coming to you guys.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, we said yes to a lot, which is why, <laughs> which is why it seemed like the record store was flooded with our stuff. I mean we were you know at that time we were in our 20s you know we didn't have any kids um yeah the world was kind of our oyster and so we were working the, again you know going back to the the touring frequency of the band it's like you know we were designing 14 16 hours a day sometimes weekends like yeah for months and years i mean I, you know, you hear about people putting in their 10,000 hours. It's like, I, I just <laughs> like sneer at that. Cause it's, I put in like twice that, you know, um, right, just in those right. first like 15 years. Um, and so, yeah, we didn't say no to a ton. We said yes a lot, even when we barely had time for it. Um, but yeah, like the, in terms of where we were kind of pulling inspiration and things like that, um, You know, we were just into, I I think the, the reason why we were able to kind of present something that felt fresh for the scene or for the scenes that we were dealing with was because we were kind of pulling from outside of that. Um, yeah, there's, there's something that's kind of, um, feels, uh, synonymous with every sort of scene, whether it's hip hop or, or metal or punk or emo or whatever. Um, and when someone, when all that they do is just kind of pull from somewhere else and introduce it, um, as long as it's done in a, a way that's like interesting and, and well executed and high quality. And the concept is really, um, that's a really like well executed concept. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always, it's always a good idea and it's always going to be met with like, Oh, you know, that's. That's cool. That's refreshing. That's great. That's, you know, I've not, I haven't seen something like that before. So we're, we're looking at guys like Storm Thorgerson, especially the guy who did all the Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin stuff and the Mars Volta and <clears throat> all that kind of stuff. He was kind yeah. of the, uh, to put it simply, he was the king of guy photographed in a weird environment Uh doing something weird.
0: <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like the, yeah, it, so many mean. of
1: our albums kind of were that it was like, Oh, there's a guy like flying through a neighborhood or there's a guy whose skin is peeling off or whatever. Right. Um, Storm Thorgerson was the catalyst for most of that kind of stuff. Like he was doing the kind of surrealist photography stuff back in the 60s and 70s. Um, and so we were looking to guys like him. We were looking to guys like Vaughn Oliver, who did all the 4AD stuff, you know, pixies, breeders, mm-hmm. for especially for typography. He was kind of the master of odd typography. He would even print stuff out, um, cut it out, curl it, put it, put it on, um, you know, clothespins, hang it, photograph it. And then that would become the type treatment. Do you know what I mean? Like he would go above and beyond to do these really elaborate treatments.
0: Well, that's what it was. I mean, it was you guys going above and beyond with everything. I think it's, is it the bleeding through, uh, album cover that you did that has like an actual, like pig's heart or something.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So the the bleeding through the truth, um, was basically, you know, band members whose limbs or faces or whatever have been kind of like blown off. And there's just like a, Uh, ungodly amount of what you would assume would be blood. There are black and white photos everywhere. Uh, And so the way that we did that was just by, you know, that's just all in the preparation of the photo shoot. Um, If you take the time to do the preparation correctly and give yourself less work in post, it's just going to look more real every time. So that was, you know, part of a, a kind of a new level for us of trying to do things that were very um, uninterrupted by textures and things like that. What we did a lot early on were highly textured, photorealistic images. And the texturing, essentially, you know, it was a trendy thing to do, but it also allowed you to kind of like hide a lot of the inconsistencies in the Photoshop work and things like that. And so as that started to become more of like a, a thing that people were doing and it kind of got tired and it got a little bit old. We we kind of switched gears to doing things that weren't textured at all and just work extra hard on making them look really real. So part of that bleeding through thing was take the people, um, you know, kind of sketch them out in an, whatever angle we wanted them shot at. And then we essentially had styrofoam that that mimicked the positioning of their body and wow. we had the you know pig entrails um a bunch of other kind of random um gross meat products where did you get that stuff like Um, from so a our butcher shop our photographer yeah at the time his name was Jeff Gross he was one of those guys kind of <laughs> yeah a,
0: Jeff Gross is right yeah
1: <laughs> but he he'd done a ton of our stuff at the time he was kind of our go-to guy at the time him and and Dave Hill um who've ended up being a massive photographer but uh those two guys basically, you could give them a give them a concept and kind of tell them what you were looking for, and then they would they were kind of their own producers. They would just go out and make it happen. Um, so you could ask for something ridiculous, like the band's going to come over, and you need to convince them to completely douse themselves in chocolate sauce, which is what that blood was. Right. And uh, he was great at that kind of thing because he was a you know a photographer, um, definitely at heart, the kind of guy that would go up and ask someone you know uh you know he's the kind of person that could go up and ask homeless people if he could take their photos like which isn't something that like a lot of people could do um so he had he had a sense of um you know he was very sure of himself in that way so he was great a great guy to have working for us in that regard because we could pitch him anything and he would just make it happen um so that thing is he went and got the styrofoam he cut it out according to our sketches and then kind of pinned, or I think, yeah, I think he pinned a lot of this meat and gunk to it. And then he covered that in black. I think it was corn syrup mixed with chocolate sauce. Um, And then photographed the band with the same, you know, like half of their body covered in this mixture. Um, And then what, what ended up, um, being like two photos, the post work was really really simple because the everything lined up in terms of the the angles um, and things yeah. like that. It was, and there was a lot of black to kind of hide certain things in, um, and so yeah, it, it ended up being a really really cool looking thing because it just looks so real. Yeah, but, um, that was wow. that was mainly because we just kind of did all the work like on the front end, making sure that the angles and All that stuff was correct. What's some of your favorite projects you worked on back then? You
0: know, in that kind of in the heyday of of whatever the scene.
1: Yeah. Um, Well, Norma Jean was definitely one for me. So my brother did the Bleeding Through artwork. Norma Jean was mine. And um, that was a huge labor of love. Um, That one's a little bit unassuming from the album cover because the cover is just kind of a type treatment. And then you open it up and you get these really kind of like wacky looking um surrealistic images of people's bodies you know either conjoined at the waist or you know um they have vines growing out of their stomach or they they have glass growing out of their back or whatever um and so again the idea there was like less less is more in terms of like the background so the background's just kind of this light blue it's almost supposed to feel like an like a gallery like an installation or something right which it almost makes it even weirder or creepier. And um, so that was, again, a lot of we've we shot a lot of kind of um, friends like in certain positions that would be easier for us to kind of manipulate. And we sent those to the photographer, um, did the same sort of thing as we did with bleeding through, had him shoot, you know, whether it was glass or vines or whatever, and like it, exactly where we needed him to be. Right. Um, it was a ton of Photoshop work because you still have to fake a lot of the shadows and you have to fake a lot of the, st- you know, if, it's, if something's growing out of someone's body, you got to find a way to make it look like it's coming out of there. Um, <laughs> so there was that. And then that that artwork actually was a ton of time spent on typography because the lyrics were essentially typed out, printed out, cross a lot of the lines were crossed out. Either by like a typewriter X kind of scenario, or like Mm -hmm. with red lines, like edited. Um, And so I had to have the foresight to, you know, I wanted if I'm going to double a line or double a word, I need to know that I'm going to cross it out later. Um, And so I would, I I would take the song and kind of like multiply certain elements of it and stuff with the idea that eventually I'd be going over it and, and editing it and. So, had you already heard the music when you made that, did that artwork? I think so. Although that idea, the idea of that became less and less necessary, like as we had right. gone on, um, working at the label. Cause I was in house at solid state and tooth and nail at that time. So I would hear everything if I wanted to, but if there was a project that was, you know, from a different label, a lot of the times because of the, the big fear of leaking back in those days, mm-hmm. um, a lot of times we just wouldn't get to hear anything and as long as we kind of knew like what what genre the band kind of fit into we were fine but honestly that yeah. that didn't even matter to us because we were just all we really wanted to do was make art that was you know thought provoking or interesting or um you know maybe jarring uh, that's really all that we wanted to do and even if it didn't necessarily fit into the genre To us, that was almost a good thing um, because we we didn't love what was happening in that or in the world of, you know, Screamo art. You know, we were trying to turn the tables on all that stuff. We were trying to make it basically turn all that type of stuff into more of a high art. Um, Yeah. Well, you did. Yeah. And that's I mean, that's what we're.
0: Which is why we're talking about it, you know, whatever, 12 years later, you know, (laughs) I mean, it it was really amazing and special what you guys are doing that no other there was no other in-house I mean, all those labels had in-house people, you know, and a lot of them were very talented, great people, but they weren't even scratching the surface of what you guys were doing. I mean, maybe it was based a lot on just the budgets or the other labels, you know, not not even allowing for that. It's like, we need the artwork yesterday. This record sure. needs to, you know,
1: get pressed. Um, whereas it seems like tooth and nail gave you guys a lot more uh, rope, you know? That's absolutely true, yeah. I was going to say, there, you know... We would always strive to do something artistic and interesting. And we would always try to push for that, even if it meant that we were doing something that was very standard in terms of packaging, things like that. But we did get a lot of freedom, especially in the early aughts. Like I would say between, you know, I, I think I started in 01 in the art department, but especially between 01 and like 08, we had, I mean... If we came up with some wacky concept, like we want a blue tinted jewel case with a die cut through the whole booklet and a, a fifth metallic color, I mean, there's like a <laughs> decent chance that we would get like a yes, which is, you know, after the digital, you know, SmackDown, so to speak, where no label was, you know, interested in doing anything larger than a 12 page book, no fifth colors, no special in- yep. inks or none anything. You know, yeah. um, it was kind of, it became more increasingly, um, rare to find labels that were interested in doing things that kind of cost for physical packaging, um, the longer that we went. And there was only a couple of them that, you know, RhymeSAyers, uh, who have, you know, atmosphere and greaves and stuff like that. Uh, yeah. is one of those labels that somehow after all that stuff went down would always be like, Let's make it special. Let's make it crazy, and so it was always really cool to work with them because it was almost like 2005 again. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right, um, of course. But there are very few labels that were interested in doing that kind of stuff, and now it's starting to almost kind of pendulum swing back in the other direction, mainly because vinyl, exactly, is, vinyl's something again, and people are really kind of it's come around to the to the point where it's popular enough where almost every release is seeing a vinyl release. Um, And then like some sort of special edition or deluxe edition thing is usually kind of on the table, especially for the larger artists. So that's that kind of stuff is really fun. Um, You know, we're obviously pressing fewer units. um, Yeah. But I think that there's ways to when we were at Tooth and Nail, there was always part of the excitement about coming up with something that felt like it wouldn't be possible was figuring out how to make it possible. And so there was <laughs> yeah. there was at some point the discussion about you know I want to do a screen print on the jewel case itself so that there's like a layer of art on the on the jewel case and then a layer of art on the booklet behind it. And what we found out pretty quickly was that um screen printing on the jewel case was not something that would be feasible for us from a you know production standpoint whether I don't remember right. if it was a cost thing or not but our you know My immediate thought after that was, well, I wonder if we could do a full-size clear sticker on the front of the jewel case. Like Dead Poetic. Like Dead Poetic, or He is Legend, or um, Trenches. There's a ton that we did. And that was basically us just, like, finding a loophole or a way around doing printing on the the jewel case itself. Right. I wonder if we could do that. And, you know, there were always small inconsistencies with that. Like sometimes the sticker would not be perfectly straight, especially sure. if it was like something that interacted with what was behind it. You know, uh, you had to kind of build that in.
0: Um, yeah, build that. Absolutely. Build it in the design.
1: You know, it's it's
0: it's kind of sad, though, that so many records back then didn't come out on vinyl. You know what True. I mean? You're you're looking at this tiny little CD. I mean, it, it would have been awesome to have it on 12 inch, you know, 12 by 12 vinyl. Uh, cover has there been stuff that's been reissued that you've been a, a part of of, yeah. of that stuff? Like you've dug out the old files and and had to bit. reformat it for the new format?
1: Yep, um, quite a bit actually. Um, I don't know how much I can say because honestly, I don't pay attention enough to know what they've announced in that regard. But oh, okay. I know Tooth and yep, has yep. been going back and um, kind of reissuing a lot of those classic. Um, like I said, kind of the two thousand four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Um, some of the bigger releases from that era, um, and I have been working on quite a few of those in the last year or two. That must be fun to go back and kind of reminisce a little bit. I it mean, is. do you enjoy yeah. that? Yeah, it, it's it's cool. I like the bigger format. Um, you know, I like to kind of rethink a few things that I might may do a little bit differently this time without really kind of jeopardizing the original look of the art. Like, I don't want to tweak it so much that it's you know the nostalgia goes away, but you know, I can make subtle different, um, you know, choices that kind of appease my anal eye. Um, but, uh, the one thing that I am missing is there is a, with the jewel case in particular, especially with packages like dead poetic, you have that kind of plastic front yeah. and that like, you know, despite how awesome it is to, to see, start saying things on vinyl and, um, the resurgence and repressing and reissuing, um, there's still like a limitations in there, you know, yeah. I wish no, that, abso- you know, absolutely for something not, like that,
0: there, there was something three dimensional there's something three dimensional about a CD case. I mean, at least yeah. the jewel case, the way that you guys designed it, at least, which made it really cool, you know, able to use even the spine, you right. know, adding that into the artwork, right. um, you know, and that's something with a vinyl, like sure it's, it's bigger and it's beautiful. But it's also flat,
1: right? And if you want to try and almost um, mimic what you did on the CD, it's like the cost is just going to skyrocket, you know, because it's yeah. it's four times the size. <laughs> so, and, you
0: know. Absolutely, man. Well, I
1: want to I want to get back to talking about a little bit
0: about music, and and we've I love the artwork talk, but uh, I'm sure a lot of people want to hear about you know some of this stuff going on behind the new Demon Hunter record mm-hmm. records. I'm sorry, That's War right. and Peace out March first. Uh, talk to me about this. these
1: records. Why are you doing two of them um, uh, now? Well, it's been kind of on our radar to do two records, um, probably for like the last maybe four records. Um, it was something that was kind of on the table, I want to say, in two, 2012, um, before we were about to do our sixth. Let's see. Yeah, I think it was our sixth record. Sixth or seventh. Um, And it's something that I've always thought about. I mean, we have these kind of two polarized styles that happen on every record. And it's everything from like, you know, barn burner, like thrash song, to like down tempo, um, you know, what we we kind of refer to as a ballad. Right. Um, And then (laughs) everything in between, you know, there's songs that are, all heavy, all screaming. There's songs that are all heavy, all singing, and then, you know, every variation therein. Um, and so we kind of had this opportunity to, you know, play with pulling those polarized styles apart and kind of experimenting within those realms on like a record autonomously. So it'd be every record I do basically, it's like Okay, it needs to have this many songs that sound like this. It needs to have at least a couple of quote unquote ballads. It needs to have like one full on, like, you know, blazing barn burner at least. Um, It needs to have at least one song that's all screaming. You know, things like that go through my head. And so there's like a some some version of like a formula of like track listing formula. Um, And I try to make it interesting within that formula. With these, the idea with these records was always. What if we were to, you know, parse out those two styles and like kind of pull them apart and say, okay, what if we did an album that was just entirely melodic and that had no screaming on it? Or that's not a that's not a hard and fast rule, but what if it was something that just didn't rely on that whatsoever? And then what if we did an album where we weren't worried about making sure that there were some slower, more ballad songs? And so it was basically kind of an experiment in that. Um, Part of it was just to see if we could pull it off. Um, You know, part of it was because we love to record, love to write and record. (laughs) It's our favorite part of being in a band. Um, And so, you know, usually, you know, especially with the ballads, since there's only a few of those per record, it's like there's almost so much experimentation that can really happen within the style of those types of songs. Um, Of course, sure. if, If you go too far left all of a sudden it's going to be like, what on earth is that? But if you, if you do a whole album of melodic songs, you can go that far left and then it just be, it becomes less of a distance, right? Stylistically. So, um, it basically allowed us to do things that maybe were a little bit left of what we were doing, um, in both regards. And, um, I don't know, it just felt like the right time. We had finished our eighth album, and so it was like, why not round out 9 and 10 at the same time? It was kind of a yeah. good time to do that. Um, it was felt like it was the right time in our career to do something like this. I think doing an endeavor like this too early in your career could kind of seem silly. Um, I agree. And self-indulgent. And uh, also, I didn't want to do a double album because those, to me, are exhausting. Um, <laughs> and so... I know it's it might as well be the same thing as a double album, but to me, it's like it's a little more satisfying that hopefully each one could kind of be digested individually. Um,
0: yeah, I get I get that I, exactly. You know, and the the old you know uh, whatever it is, I'm, you know, everyone said this forever since you know the the beginning of music. Like no band has ever pulled off a perfect double album. No, I yeah. mean the Beatles couldn't even do it you know totally. and so many of so many times you know whether it's um you know smashing pumpkins or right. or you know all these other bands that have made really good double albums that are that are classic double albums it's like man if you just took those 20 songs
1: and just
0: took the best 12 you'd have like an incredible record of course i you mean know? we only remember so, uh,
1: 12 songs from melancholy anyway right uh, exactly <laughs> right and if it was just
0: those 12 yeah. think about that album it would be you know Um, so I, I, I always like had this, this idea in my head, it was like, okay, do a double album, be fully prepared to put out a double album and then then once it's actually done, then just, then just cut it in half Yeah, and take the best shit. And then maybe that's the secret to making the, you know, a
1: classic album. I'm sure it is. (laughs) Yeah. Just self editing.
0: But I, I like the concept though of having one. Kind of crazy, you know. I like the term "barn burner." That's the term I use as well. Uh, you know, and having that, and then an album of, of you know, of ballads, and I think that's yeah. that's going to be something that's going to really, you know, your fan base is going to really like as well. I so think that's, so. That's I mean, a really cool idea.
1: There's always been a little bit of a debate on like what what styles that we do are are the ones that resonate most with people, or and it's sure if you just take it by you know, looking at Spotify stats or iTunes stats oh, well, or like, things like that. Like I am a
0: stone. I mean, that's your biggest right. song on Spotify. And, it's and like that's our definitely our most a piece thing we've song. Ever done. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it's a B side. Yeah. And, uh, but then you go play live and it's like, people are yelling out for like the heaviest stuff that we've ever written. So, right. um, you know, I think there's, I think what it is really is that people like both, you know, but there's like, it's, it's more often the right time to play something that is more melodic. Than it is to play something that is really aggressive, um, and so I think I think that's just the nature of it. But I mean, part of it is just this experiment of like what what is going to resonate more with people, what are they going to find interesting, um, and it just kind of helps us keep fresh in terms of what we're doing with the blueprint at this point. You know, it's been so long, and it's yeah, the changes have been subtle over the years, but you know, we're in this zone right now where. Um, my guitar player Patrick and I are kind of writing things together at this point, which is a fairly new thing, just as of la- the last uh, record outlive. Um, and so there's a there's a freshness to that, which is nice. I mean, that's another reason why this was even possible. If you know, f- I was responsible for writing all the songs the way that I did for, you know, um, the world is a thorn, true defiance, extremists. Uh, I don't think that I would have been able to do this many songs especially juggling the things that i do and so sure it's um, a lot of songs it's been it's been awesome to have someone sending me songs and just be like oh that's the one all i need to do is write melodies and lyrics for it that's great make a couple tweaks to the you know if any to the structure and it's just it takes a lot of the load off of me which is awesome and it makes it more exciting again it makes like less pressure for me and i still like to write you know songs and so there's about half of the songs are mine, but um, it's really nice not to have to have such a, a, a hold on the, the the songwriting in terms totally. of every element, you know?
0: Totally, absolutely. Well, the the new records are out uh, March 1st. You can get some pre-orders at the Demon Hunter website, including uh, one that, that comes with an 80-page book. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, obviously artwork and... And Art Direction isn't very important for your band, which is why a majority of this this conversation was about that. Uh, but you know what? One thing I thought was actually pretty cool was actually how cheap it is. That you can actually get it for like only like $50, which yeah. these days seems like a steal.
1: Yeah, I mean that's always been something that is important to us. If we're going to do something that's deluxe or that's special... Um, we want it to be affordable and, you know, last record, we did a pledge thing where it was, we did a deluxe, I think it was 40 bucks, but then we did just for fun, we did a super deluxe, which was $500 and there was only five wow. of those. <laughs> how many, how many were there? There were five, but they sold, they sold in the first day. Um, yeah, yeah. Right. But I they, know. you know, the first thing, it was a wooden box that was etched, you know, this big 12 inch wooden box and you open up the the top and the first thing you see is just like a flush top with a little slide. With my blood in it (laughs) on each one of them. Whoa. So yeah, it was the most, we were like, what's the most intense deluxe edition that we could ever conjure? So that one was insane. But yeah, for the most part, I like to do something that's like, (laughs) you know, pretty affordable. Um, A lot of our deluxe editions come with like some sort of DVD, like making of thing. This record that was like with this amount of music and this, this amount of lyrics and things like that. Doing like a component like that just felt like a little bit too much. Again, I don't want to exhaust people. Um, so it's just the music, but you do get a B-side on each record just from the deluxe edition. Uh, so
0: I got it. Sorry, I got to cut you off. Yeah. Where did you, where did the blood come from? How did you do that?
1: Oh, from my thumb. So I had like a diabetes uh, <laughs> needle <laughs> that I used that um, was pretty easy. Now, what if I guess, you know, those five
0: people that have your blood now in case they want to frame you you for uh, Uh for some for some crazy uh, crime or something.
1: Yeah, I know. I thought about that. (laughs)
0: That's uh, wow. That's incredible, man. Um, Damn, dude. Well, everybody check out that stuff. That's uh, that's really cool. It sounds like a really, really, really cool record. Um, Before I let you go, I got a couple fan questions, if you don't mind. Um, somebody asks, uh, how did the Five Finger Death Punch collaboration uh, come about? And how was, was doing that?
1: <clears throat> that was fun. Um, so Seems a bit random. It's a little random. Uh, although those guys are big fans. Um, yeah. When they were starting their band, we were a big kind of reference point for them. Um, according to Chris, the bass player, and, and, and Zoltan. Um, so... Yeah, they, you know, they've always been fans. They've reached out to us a couple of times. Like when we're in Vegas, we'll go hang out with Chris Kahlo and stuff like that. They're just really nice guys. Um, and so I think just, you know, in terms of us being a bit of an inspiration, they just kind of reached out and asked if we would do a, you know, a guest spot. Yeah. And so I did that when I was in, I was visiting Nashville. That was perfect because Jeremiah, who our guitar player is the, the one who has the home studio where we do pretty much mm-hmm. everything. Um, and so I did that there with him. Um, We sent that back. And I think they I don't know what their plan really was with that record, but they had a bunch of guest spots and a lot of them ended up a lot of those songs ended up being the non guest spot version on the actual record. And then they they had they released like a special edition that had some of the alternate versions that had the guests and then they there was like a video game version, which was the one that I was on. So it didn't end up. Okay. Mine didn't end up on the actual record. Um, I don't know what I don't know exactly the thinking behind that, but um, it it made its way out in some form, but not.
0: Well, people seem to know about it if it's yeah, a question, yeah. So. They
1: definitely it's it's been out there, but it's not the easiest thing to find. Um, we've okay. had a lot of people asking us like where they can find it and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I've done so many guest spots over the years um but yeah, yeah.
0: That, no there's a i think i saw a pretty exhaustive list on uh, <laughs> yeah. on like wikipedia or something yeah that, um, like
1: you know for for like post punk bands or screamo bands or whatever like i would just by virtue of working with Aaron Sprinkle who did so much of the stuff at that right. time um i was like the resident like screaming guy um, Did
0: Aaron work on your new record at all? He didn't records? actually.
1: This is the first; these these two records are the first ones that he had not worked on in any oh, capacity. Okay. Um, in the last record, he just kind of helped produce the vocals. So it's been it's been a little bit, um, you know, more of us taking our own reins in that regard. Um, but also, like every time I approach a song, I'm doing it with like my Aaron sprinkle cap on. So you know, <laughs> I, I, he's like my sensei. So. Um, sure. So, yeah, but when he would be doing, like, Amberlynn or something like that, and he was like, we need a screamer, like, you know, I would come in and do, like, stuff on, on those types of records. <laughs> so it was just kind of like, you know, a lot of it was out of necessity, and then, the, you know, a lot were just friends that we would tour with. Band, Absolutely. Bands that we tour with. Absolutely. I
0: mean, with with you doing so much, uh, so little, uh, sorry, excuse me, with you doing so little amount of touring, mm-hmm. Do you find it's like, oh my God, I haven't screamed in a while. Oh yeah. Like it, it, you know, is is it kinda like hard sometimes to get back in the groove of, For of sure. screaming and, and not like losing your voice and like, you know, 'cause people always ask me, Oh, how do you do it night in, night out? I'm like, Well it's kinda like a muscle, you know, if I haven't done it in a while, it's harder. So is that do
1: you yeah. find that to be the case? For sure. It's a, it's scary too because um yeah, there have been times where I'm like, Oh man, I don't you know well, the good thing is, I will say, when we do these fly-out festivals, I can just blow my voice out because I don't have to sing the <laughs> next day. One show, yeah, right? Right. But when we're playing a few in a row, it is a little scary because I'm like, I don't know. I don't remember how this, you know, how I'm supposed to do this. Um, but what I'll do usually is rehearse in my car, like on long drives before like yeah. a tour, you know, if there's a, a little string of shows. Um, usually I need to do that just to kind of brush up on the lyrics anyway, but um, it's it's a nice excuse to... To be able to belt it with without anyone looking—that's what I tell you know, people too. <laughs> I always say
0: I used to practice screaming in my car. That's how I. That was my trial and error. Yeah. That way you know, no matter how stupid you sound, you know, no one's listening from you know the basement or the the apartment next door yeah, or whatever exactly. you know. Um, so that's funny. Okay, well, last fan question. This is kind of an interesting uh, story sure. here. Um, uh, it goes back to, I guess, I guess Metallica asking the U.S. military to stop using their music for interrogations, and you guys were allegedly sent uh, your CDs and patches to the military. Mm-hmm. And I guess the quote here is: "This is from the soldier who claimed to have uh, killed Bin Laden, mm-hmm. uh, saying that this happened, and and he quote quote I wore my Demon Hunter patch on every mission." I wore it when I blasted Bin Laden. Yeah, that's
1: right. That's
0: true. Which is in, which is intense, uh, and I guess just looking for
1: your take on that. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, uh, that was actually an, an Esquire quote. Um, oh wow! Okay, and uh, that magazine came out while we were on tour with In Flames, um, and. So there's there's a lot there. There's a I mean I could talk about this for a half a day or whatever. And there was a long time where we weren't really like fielding questions about this because it was so, there okay. was such a a volatile nature to it um, that you know we kind of we waited a couple of days we let the the smoke settle a little bit we issued a press release about it clearing some of the air around some of the lingo some of the language and the specifics about what was said which was very much made it sound like Metallica was like stop using our music and Demon Hunter was like you can use ours instead and that wasn't really the case the case was we've always sent stuff to the military um, oh, okay. we've always had a huge military following um, we have a song on the triptych called the Soldier Song and that was 2004 or whatever 5 um, so we've always had there's been always been something about Demon Hunter that's resonated with the armed forces and so we get a ton of correspondence from them. And so we've always sent them care packages. We've always sent records. There are whole entire platoons called Demon Hunters, and they, you know, they make their own patches on base there, and it'll be the Demon Hunter Skull, and they'll wear them on their on their getups, and um, you know, we get we get asked probably monthly from a platoon if they can use our logo for something. Um, wow. And so wow, we're like, crazy. yeah, cool. Yeah. Just don't, you know, you can't sell it, but if you want to make shirts or whatever that say Demon Hunter, what? that's cool. Um, and so we've always done that sort of thing. There's always been a lot of that going on. Um, at one point we received a photo of a platoon of guys that was like, a, it was a small platoon of guys that were probably six or seven guys with huge beards they're all wearing glasses. <laughs> they're very much like special ops guys. Yeah. I'm pretty positive that it was SEAL Team 6, but um, the guy who shot Bin Laden was one of the guys in the photos. Um, and they're all wearing Demon Hunter patches. And that wasn't like, um, that wasn't kind of uncommon for those types of teams, like special agents and stuff. Um, and so, anyway, we're in the snow uh, driving to. Some um, small town in New Mexico on tour with Flames in February of 2012. And we get a call that that Esquire article is out and that people are flipping out about it because of a lot of the connotations that are made. Um, and mm-hmm. so, you know, we have CNN wanting to do interviews. We have um all kinds of very legitimate news outlets calling us that want us to, uh, you know, comment on it. Um, and it was just not, you know, at that time we were like, let's just chill out here. I don't think we need to bring. I don't think we need to like really have this be our the thing that we're known for right now. Like that's not really something that's of interest to us. Is to like, yeah, capitalize on this or whatever. Um, we're always we've always been appreciative of the like the you know, the armed forces for the support and stuff like that. Um, but you know, there was the way that some of the things were worded were a little bit like, uh, Oh, so you guys are cool with torture. And it's like, yeah, well, that's not what, <laughs> that's not what, <laughs> what this is at all. So, um, right, right. Anyway, it was, it was a little bit interesting. Um, but you know, I'm still stoked that, 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 that dude was wearing a demon hunter patch. He's got two demon hunter tattoos actually. Um, okay! Wow! Wow! Yeah, and so um, yeah, it's very very interesting. But we like to joke that uh, that demon hunter killed Bin Laden a lot. <laughs> Jeez! <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's yeah, that's like that's a crazy story, and um, you know, I, I mean, that's that's kind of a cool thing, you know. I guess you guys just sort of you know we're like, hey, check it, check this out, and somewhere along the way. You know, the, it got passed around and it does make sense, you know, I guess, for, for people going on those missions. Yeah. You know, um, there's something kind of Demon synonymous. Hunter. There's, some, there's something about it that sort of works, you know. Um, <laughs> right. And yeah. of course, of course, your shit always looks cool. So,
1: yeah, there's like an analogous thing with the name and things like that that work. But then there's also like, you know, when you dive into the lyrics, they're like very helpful. And, um, you know, there's right. there's a lot of that. So I think that that's a big <clears throat> kind of a big factor for those guys over there is like, they like that. That's not just like negativity through and through.
0: Yeah. They probably deal with enough negativity, you know, (laughs) and with, with what they do.
1: Well, Ryan, thanks so much for taking the time. Um, anything else to tell the people before I let you go? No, uh, just thanks for all the awesome feedback on the new songs. I'm just excited for everyone to hear the the full albums, and so we can't. Are people going to be able to
0: see you guys live? You got some stuff planned?
1: Yeah, we definitely will be out this year. Um, we don't have anything on the books this second, but um, it's it's definitely on our radar, and yeah, we'll be out there for sure.
0: All right, man. Well, thanks so much. Yeah, appreciate it, man. Yeah, take care, man. See ya. So there it is with Ryan. I want to thank him so much for doing this, taking the time out of his very, very busy schedule. And uh, wow, eye-opening stuff. I loved every minute of this episode. I know we really got into the design stuff, but man, just so cool everything that he's done. And make sure you go give those Demon Hunter records, multiple records that are out now, a spin, War and Peace. They're both really, really cool. I'm going to leave you with a tune. This one jumped out at me. I think it's a banger. Here it is, Unbound on Lead Singer Syndrome. Peace and love. We'll see you next week.